Welcome to Living Proof, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. We're glad you could join us today. The series Living Proof examines social work research and practice that makes a difference in people's lives. The University at Buffalo School of Social Work is making a difference every day. Through the generation and transmission of knowledge, promotion of social justice, and service to humanity. We offer MSW and PhD programs, continuing education programs and credits, online courses, licensure exam preparation, professional seminars and certificates, and much, much more. To learn more about the UB School of Social Work, please visit www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. Hip-hop. Is it merely a gangster music genre that sells misogyny, drugs, and violence, and toxic to youth development? Is it a pathway towards individual and collective empowerment? Or is it an innovative teaching tool useful for helping social work students understand future clients in a deeper way? Today's guests address these questions. Dr. Raphael Travis and Dr. Ann Deepak are assistant professors of social work at Texas State University, San Marcos. As a clinician, Dr. Rafael Travis provided direct services and supervision in residential programs serving court-adjudicated youth and adolescents with mental health needs. His current research interests include examining the principles of positive youth development as they relate to out-of-school time programs juvenile justice and reentry, and hip-hop culture from a social work and public health perspective. Dr. Ann Deepak's years of practice and teaching experience have contributed to her expertise in cross-cultural mental health issues, post-colonial feminist theory and practice, diversity and social justice, and the use of popular culture in social work education and practice. Peter Sabota, clinical assistant professor at the University of Buffalo School of Social Work, spoke with Drs. Travis and Deepak by telephone. Hi, this is your host, Peter Sabota. We'd like to mention that this episode contains some background distortion that is due to technical problems we experienced while recording. Thanks, and we hope you like the podcast. Hi, and welcome to Living Proof. This is Peter Sabota, and today I'm talking with Dr. Raphael Travis and Dr. Ann Deepak from Texas State University at San Marcos. Welcome. The title of our podcast, Empowerment in Context, Lessons from Hip-Hop Culture for Social Work Practice, it obviously reflects your current research. Um, would you be willing to begin by describing what you're studying and what or how you hope it will be used? One of the projects that we're concentrating on is how hip-hop can be used as an educational tool with social work students, both at the bachelor level and at the master's level. And we're looking both in a micro-practice context as well as a macro-practice context. And we're hoping that it enables students to better understand or we're hoping to provide a bridge to better understanding the populations that they're working with. We believe that hip-hop provides an in-depth opportunity to really find out what young people are thinking. We believe it has national applications, international application, and really 
provides significant cultural breadth with which students can draw from in their efforts to move forward as professionals. And this is under the category of making no assumptions, but for our listeners who maybe don't have a lot of familiarity with hip-hop culture and music, what is it at this point do you think we would need to know to better understand the genre? Well, I think one of the main things that we try to get across is that even though we emphasize the music component or what a lot of people know as rap music is that the culture itself is much more broad uh, than the music itself. There are several different aspects to the art form. Uh, The most commonly referred to aspects are emceeing or rapping, which is what people are most familiar with. Then there's DJing, uh, which is the use of turntables to play music. Uh, There is mural art, which people refer to as graffiti. Then there's also b-boying or breakdancing. And so the culture itself is a lot broader than just what you hear on the radio. And it's with that understanding that it is a broad culture is, is where we bring the music. It's really important to really take time to understand, explore, be curious about uh, what you see and, and hear within hip-hop. Would you care to comment any more on maybe what you consider to be some common misperceptions about hip-hop culture and even more specifically the music? I think the biggest misconception is that it is only what is stereotypically referred to in the media. Uh, The most common is that it's uh, gangster music, only about violence, drugs, misogyny, and that it has no artistic merit whatsoever. It's toxic. It is something that will demonize youth forever something that adults couldn't possibly embrace, has no redeeming value. So it's it's generally categorized in in a very negative capacity. And then if there is a contrast, the only contrast is the complete sort of polar opposite of that stereotype. And so it's either this, you know, gangster hip hop or it's conscious and, you know, there's those two poles and that's it. And an artificial dichotomy that's created. It does seem, at least to me, like the kind of conventional wisdom is, amongst many people at least, is that hip-hop is this really negative influence. But really, that's not the thrust of your paper. And where you really build a rationale for how this can be really helpful. Right. And and that's what we try to do. In, In the classroom in particular, we try to bring out these empowerment themes Uh, help students to understand that really build their awareness about the different cultural realities that are portrayed within the music. We look at it from a global perspective. We look at it even within the United States, the cross-cultural aspects of the music, and really try to introduce students to the strong social justice elements that are raised uh, within the music. I had a chance to read the manuscript of the paper that you and Anne wrote, and you get into more detail in there, and you talk about, you propose a framework for not only educators, but practitioners to utilize. Could you describe that? Sure. As I mentioned earlier, we really started this in the classroom, and we attempted to 
really lay out for students uh, the fact that this could be used with individuals, it could be used as far as understanding individuals as well as understanding communities from a social justice standpoint. And then as we continue to explore this as well as uh, referencing the, the existing research and literature, uh, we felt that operationalizing some of these concepts within a framework could really help bring some teeth to what we offer in the classroom as well as as what we hope to arm practitioners with as they move into the community. And so the framework essentially is divided up into two larger empowerment domains, uh, individual empowerment as well as uh, collective empowerment domains. And in the individual, and we look at, at three uh, subcategories, we look at this idea of self-esteem, we look at resilience, and we look at personal growth and youth development. And then when we move to the collective empowerment uh, domains, we look at sort of a, uh, a move from positive youth development to more of a community youth development theme and then to a more social change or social action. And we believe that those five areas really comprise the essential empowerment aspects that are in the music that are, are important for social workers to, to pay attention to. How do you think, or how would you say that, that this framework is unique from, for example, the other uses of hip-hop by social workers, or even what's been you know, written about by scholars uh, about hip-hop? I think overall, each of the themes that are discussed within the framework are not necessarily unique. Uh, I think those are all themes that have been referenced by other researchers such as Tyson, Coben, Tilly Allen, Hicks Harper, uh, and some of the Rose and some of the other more well-known writings about hip-hop. I think what's unique is the effort to provide a concrete structure that people can use, uh, a way to organize these concepts in a way that can make it easier to discuss, to process, to use in assessment and developing goals and objectives uh, around either individual change or community change. And so I think it's something that practitioners, educators can really use and run with, as well as integrate a lot of the previously uh, written about information. Why do you think hip-hop is uniquely positioned to address some of the challenges of young people and, and adolescents? I think it's uh, uniquely positioned because it's, a, it's an art form that has been used by marginalized youth globally to express their feelings and express their political critique of the situations that they're in. And it's really powerful for students. Some of the associated research I, I was doing on multimedia instruction that includes hip-hop in it is that students find have this enormous emotional impact from the sounds and images conveyed in hip-hop, especially when they're disturbing and when they're um, presented in an authentic manner, which you do find in hip-hop that it has this, a lot of the students that we're teaching right now that are coming from the millennial generation, this is how they learn is through their emotions. And so it's a really unique way to convey whatever the topic is that we're trying to talk to them about. 
I noticed from some information on your background that one of your academic interests is, I believe, using popular culture and applying popular culture ideas in the classroom. Would you say a little bit more about that? I see hip-hop as one one form of popular culture that is is absolutely global and is growing more and more. And I think it's really important. What I try to convey to students is that popular culture is one way of entering the life worlds of the clients or communities that they're working with. So as they're preparing to enter whatever community, because remember, hip-hop is produced by people from all different racial backgrounds and from many different countries. Wherever they're preparing to start their work, it's really important for them to be familiar with the popular culture of that group that they are working with. Yeah, oh, good old-fashioned social work values of uh, kind of client self-determination and empowerment and starting where the client is. It's, it's a very good fit. A, a slightly different question. Um, Raphael earlier referred to positive youth development. And I, I guess I don't want to make the assumption that when we say that, we're all talking about the same thing. So I would ask um, maybe you to describe what you mean when you talk about positive youth development, especially in this uh, context. Well, from its most basic uh, assumption, it's essentially what are the desired outcomes that we want for young people? And there's a body of literature that I draw from uh, to help explain that, and it describes positive youth development uh, in five Cs. Uh, The first is competence, then confidence, then connection, then character, and then caring. And those five C's are believed to facilitate a sixth C of contribution. And those are all really important within the framework uh, that we talk about, particularly that sixth C of contribution. Uh, It's believed that the better young people are able to meet their own developmental needs in partnership with the proper environmental supports, the more likely they are to contribute or be of service to their surrounding community or context. And that's where that bridge to volunteering service, being a role model, a mentor to others comes in. And that's the bridge, also the bridge between individual empowerment and collective empowerment. And so when we talk about positive youth development, we're moving away from this idea that we need to only focus on preventing bad things from uh, young people, uh, that we're focusing only on drug use uh, prevention, or only on violence prevention, or only on STD prevention, but instead we're trying to facilitate those competencies and those connections that we know are, are critical for young people. And when those happen in sufficient numbers, those young people will be even more likely to be resources for their compu- for their communities uh, and the groups and, and social networks that they belong to. And that's what I really like about what you're saying. And you know, some of those other more traditional methods that you just described, they don't exactly have the best track records in terms of changing the exact thing that they propose to change. And even you know, there are some successes that people point to and. You know, there, there is the research that says if you, you know, if you have a specific focused 
intervention for prevention that, that you can achieve successes. But even if there are successes in those areas, that, that still doesn't offer additional resources for the larger context within which they are a part of. And I think that a lot of the uh, current youth development initiatives really place an emphasis on that person-environment link and that we can't look at one without the other. Exactly. And that's the point you made in your paper as well, is how important it is to understand context when you're using the framework that you propose. Correct, correct. Uh, Young people are shaped not in a one-way direction, but the nature of that person and environment fit uh, is what uh, seems to be really important for young people, and we try to address that head-on in our work with uh, students. Part of what your paper addressed was not only a a kind of a description of your rationale, but you also uh, got very um, practical in terms of strategies. Could you talk a little bit about what you believe are the kind of practical uh, strategic implications for not only social work education, but also social work practice? Sure. Uh, One of the things that we really wanted to make sure, um, and and it stems from our classroom work, is that this is something that people could pick up and run with. And so we wanted to be as specific as possible with some of the potential practice uh, implications. And from, uh, I guess, the primary issue uh, would be for practitioners to enhance their own understanding of the culture and specifically music as a tool. And so by providing these concepts, the first step is for practitioners to listen, to listen to the music, try on some of these framework themes, the same way basically that we do with students. Do you hear resilience themes? Uh, Do you hear growth and development themes? Do you hear social change themes? And I think for me that's one of the biggest ways to overcome that initial barrier or stereotype that people have about the music. Uh, If they're given a language, if they're given a a framework for understanding, then they can say, oh, well, you know, wait a minute, I never really heard that. Okay, I get that. And then the music can potentially become more familiar, more inviting, more engaging for the practitioner themselves. Uh, Moving beyond that, then you can get down to the nuts and bolts of the therapeutic relationship. Uh, So in the uh, ever-important rapport-building part, it'll be that much easier to say, hey, what's your favorite song? Let's let's throw on a song. Let's listen to some songs. What do you think about about that? And there won't be that initial turnoff. And it it will potentially be a great rapport-building tool something that I do in workshops and instantly there's a connection. Kids are always willing to tell you what their favorites are. <laughs> yes, I noticed in, in your bio that you spent a, you know, a part of your career, at least as, as a practitioner. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, in terms of applications for the classroom, how would you say in your experience this strategy and this framework is received in the classroom? The framework is actually a newer piece uh, to the classroom. The first were exercises generally providing some sort of inductor deep. Well, I'll let Dr. Deepak 
talk about how she uses it in the classroom. Uh, but for me, uh, I would use songs, play songs, and ask students to tell me if they saw the presence of certain concepts. You know, did they see resilience? Did they see uh, instances of risk? Did they see instances of uh, empathy? Did they see instances of aspirations for growth and development? And then they would respond to it. And actually, their responses helped to basically validate some of these ideas within the framework. And they took to it very well. <laughs> it was yeah. much more fun than traditional exercise. It's really powerful. The students really respond well to it. I think, you know, most hip-hop songs that we choose to use in the classroom are, you know, about themes related to what the students are interested in, which is helping people. The one that I used in that presentation was in an introductory macro practice class where I first start off and just talk about the history of social work and the, the conflict that we've had in the past between the social action perspective and the, you know, the macro and the micro and how we have come together, you know, found a way to work that out by incorporating the empowerment perspective as well as generalist practice. And so in this course, they were learning about generalist practice. Um, and then I show this extremely powerful video uh, called Runaway Love, which is by Ludacris, who um, people don't associate with, I don't think, social or political action. <laughs> it's an incredible song, and I actually just heard it on the radio, and I would go on the verge of tears every time I heard it. But then once I saw the video, it's so interesting. It's, it's three different scenarios of runaway girls, and it's completely different scenarios. And one is um, white or possibly Hispanic. One is white and one is black. One, it's a situation of sexual abuse, and she runs away, and her mother's on crack. One is she gets pregnant, teen pregnancy, and she can't tell her mother. She can't get an abortion, and she can't tell her mother. She feels. Um, that her mother will kick her out, and then one-third scenario. And so I asked them to watch this, you know, and many of our students do come in hoping to be clinicians, you know, through their M MSW degree, and ask them to apply a generalist and empowerment perspective to coming up with some interventions to um, address the, pro the social problem of runaway girls. It really sounds, you know, as I listen to you talk about it, I can, I can see something like that happen happening in a classroom, and I see, you know, people engaged, and what a great um, approach to teaching. I think that, you know, starts where they are. It really is because you know they are coming in with this, you know, very genuine desire to help people, and for me, what I'm trying to do when I use it is always since I do teach the macro courses, I'm trying to bring it to the bigger picture. So the, the songs always start with some very moving personal story. But the great thing about the videos, too, is that they're really incorporating all these different layers that easily brings it to the political and social level, too. In that video, we can talk about what's going on with those girls interpersonally. Oh, the last scene of the video is really powerful because it's all these women, they go to Central Park and they're all we can assume runaway girls, and there's missing flyers all over the place, and Ludacris <laughs> asks them to all, you know, they're all holding a candle, so it's like a vigil 
and then all the fires blow away. To me, that scene, what we talk about in class after they do this exercise, is gives from the empowerment perspective of actually working with these girls or young women who are former runaway youth and asking them what do they think is one of the ways to address this problem, which is not their first thought, because they want to help them, and they want to treat them, and they want to be therapeutic with them, but they never think that the runaway girl themselves may have some good ideas. But then another piece of it is in those three little scenarios, one of them where the girl is being physically abused by her stepfather, she has this one friend who is her one connection, who she really loves, and she gets killed in a drive-by shooting. So it's just such a rich opportunity to talk about, you know, what kind of connections are going on in neighborhoods. You know, if abuse is happening, is there an auntie, neighbor auntie you can talk to about it? Is there a teacher? It just captures so much in such a little amount of time. Well, I think, you know, you're presenting a common experience for your students. And and music is one thing, but music with images, I think you're just upping the ante. So I I think this is... This is really wonderful. For you know, for those of us who who really are not as kind of connected or aren't even teaching in these creative ways, for example, is where would you find videos like this? Are these available on YouTube or on there on go television? To go to YouTube and you don't have to have an account and you can just type in a search term for anything. So this is what I often do when I'm preparing for a class is I'll type in, well, I do one with Hurricane Katrina about racism and anti-racism. So for that, I might type in racism Katrina and see what videos come up. And inevitably there will be, within the many videos, there will be some hip-hop videos that come up as well. But what happens, what I've noticed is as I've started to do this, that students will recommend videos to me to use. Um, and that is really amazing, too. As you start to do it more, the students kind of see that that's an interest, and they'll hook you up with different videos that maybe you never thought of. Terrific. So there's, I mean, obviously lots of advantages to using a, a framework like this and, and some of these strategies. So here, here's a question, then. What, what do I do if I'm a social work educator or a practitioner, and... I don't like this music. Well, I tell my students, you know, you don't have to like this music, but you have to listen to it. <laughs> Just like, you know, you may have clients that you actually don't really like, or you don't like the language they use, or you don't like the way they dress, or they've made different decisions in their life that you would never make. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but you always have to listen. And that's kind of how I introduce it, because some of the videos I show do have bad language in them. And so I say that beforehand. And... I think there is something, so I have used music in the past without using a video, but when you have a music video, it is 500 times more powerful mm -hmm. because you have those images that are going with the song. There's at least maybe at least some risk of that being kind of traumatizing for an audience or a class that maybe hasn't seen or wasn't prepared for some of those images. I try to do that you know, for the ones that are disturbing. Runaway love, I find it really disturbing, but mm -hmm. I tell people beforehand. But again, place it in the context of you'll be working with clients and they will tell you disturbing things. We need to be prepared for this, but this is part of what we're doing. I was reading something the other day in preparing to talk with the two of you. The kind of argument was that hip-hop music is, they termed it infrapolitics, where 
infra, where oppositional transcripts and unofficial truths are developed and refined. And it sounded to me a little bit like um, another clinical model like narrative therapy. I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. I actually think I think that's a great way to look at it. That I mean, I think hip hop generally, overall, is a form of resistance, cultural resistance, mm-hmm. you know, to power inequities and whether people are talking about their personal stories, which they usually are. Mm-hmm. They're almost always contextualized within the political context. So I would think it's it's very similar to narrative therapy. But um, Dr. Travis will have to. I think that's dead on in a couple of capacities, uh, both in terms of the messages that are created by an artist, uh, because we don't know the extent that that reflects them as an individual, or are they commenting on what they see uh, that others are experiencing. But to the extent that the listener identifies with that message, then that becomes potentially their story. And that's what we're hoping to tap into for working with a client. Uh, so, example, when I give my assignment, I don't tell students that it's a hip-hop song. So what I lay it out is in the scenario. I said that a young man has come to you after being referred by his probation officer. I give his family constellation, his circumstances, and I say that, uh, you asked him to, you know, he, he doesn't want to communicate with you. And so you say, okay, why don't you go home and just journal, journal the thoughts that come to mind. And I say, this is, when he comes to see you the next time, this is the journal that he gives you. And it's the text of the song. And so the way the song lays out, it lays out as a personal reflection that someone might have journaled. It's the Roots uh, song, What's Going On, and a lot of their songs take on this format, and a lot of hip-hop songs take on this format. It goes into his exploration of his circumstances, uh, things that are going on for him, dilemmas, issues of oppression, desired avenues for success and resilience. Anyway, I think that those types of you know, so basically, if you were to intervene in this person's life, which I ask students to do, a lot of what they then say is, well, he talks about his hope to do better. Right? He talks about his desire, his aspirations to be a better person, how hard it is and, and the forces that are pulling at that desire or aspiration. But if we build on those strengths and we build on some of these other strengths that he's reflected on, then perhaps he, you know, we can increase the likelihood that he'll be able to step into that new reality, that desired change, either at the individual level or the community level. If he talked about his own issues, but then he, he also has those we messages, right, those uh, things that are talking about the sort of collective struggles. And I bring this in when I'm talking about narrative therapy, and I, so I think it, it dovetails nicely with that that whole idea, and and that's essentially what we're asking students to step into, both themselves in terms of understanding these these various realities that people experience, but also if they're going to step into the change agent role, that they can use use these themes 
in their assessment process, in developing goals, uh, in, in developing interventions, and in evaluating whether or not that change actually takes place at the individual or uh, community level. Well, you know, the the passion and enthusiasm for the topic and, and how you talk about it is really coming through. And we're kind of at the end here, unfortunately. So I guess I'm, I'm going to ask the question, what's next related to this topic or your, your other work? Well, I'll let both of us talk. I think we, we have some collective uh, next steps and we have some individual next steps. Personally, there, there are several sort of integrated projects going on related to this. First is we've had one wave of research with young people trying to better understand their perspectives on hip-hop and some of their attitudes around it uh, to see the extent that some of these empowerment themes surface as well as some of the more commonly addressed risk themes, you know, misogyny, violence, substance use. So we've, we've had one wave of data collection we're hoping to do another soon. In the classroom, we'll continue to use uh, use this as a teaching tool, not just the sort of open narrative, but also integrating the framework a little bit more into the classroom. And then in terms of dissemination to practitioners, I've done a couple of workshops already, and I hope to continue doing workshops with uh, both youth and uh, you know, researchers and social workers to uh, elaborate on the framework and particularly its utility. There's an assessment checklist that we've developed that practitioners can use and just helping people to better understand uh, the framework and some of the themes that we talk about. And I'll, I'll let uh, Anne continue. Well, I think Raphael really covered the stuff that we're working on together. Um, there's one one thing that I'm working on separately, uh, which is connected, but incorporates hip-hop, but it's not limited to hip-hop, and that's on the use of Internet technology in a classroom, which includes hip-hop, but also other, um, you know, vlogs from YouTube, which are video logs, just like a blog, but their faces there and they're talking. I don't know if you've seen those before. <laughs> um, I think so. I think so. But... Um, just the same idea of incorporating hip-hop along with other forms of technology in teaching and how that has an impact on students. I've done some research on that. I'm presenting um, an anti-racism lesson plan using those forms, including hip-hop, and um, I'm planning to do more research on that. I'd like to thank you, Dr. Andy Pack and Dr. Raphael Travis, both of you, for spending time with us today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Drs. Raphael Travis and Anne Deepak discuss lessons from hip-hop culture. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for more lectures and conversations on social work practice and research. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean at the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about who we are, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. At UB, we are living proof that social work makes a difference in people's lives.